Let's turn to the Word of God. We're going to read Psalm 62 tonight. This will be our sermon text. Got a few different, um, few different thoughts regarding where we go now that we're done with Genesis for the evening sermons, and I haven't quite landed yet on, on what will be next. Still weighing a few things. Uh, so, in the meantime, here is uh, here is Psalm 62. This is the word of our God, Psalm 62. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice. I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. And 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10, our New Testament reading. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thanks be to God for his word. Oh, our God, we pray again, asking that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would come, nourish us, strengthen us, lead us by the green pastures, lead us by the still waters, give us all that we need. Your word, you tell us, is is sufficient. We pray that you would prove it once again to be so, that you would do us good by your word, for your name's sake. Amen. What's your, what's your response when you're in distress? Do you, uh, do you fight it? Uh, just some, something difficult, something overwhelming or, or painful is happening, so you're, gonna, you're just going to go at it? You're going to fight it, resist it, try to, try to beat it? That's one approach. Um, sometimes we, we, we run from it. Distress comes, and we just try to get as far away from it as, as we can. Or maybe we try just to ignore it, pretend, pretend that situation, that uncomfortable, painful, difficult situation, I'm just going to ignore it and, uh, and, and, and play dead to it and, and not try to respond to it at all. What do you do with, with, with distress? That's what Psalm 62 is about. It's about a, it's about a Christian soul in distress and, and how you respond to that, to that distress. And it's a call to rest and wait in the Lord even in the midst of distress. Now, it's clear from Scripture that, that, it's, a, that, that, that it's good and right to try to, you're in a bad situation, get into a better situation, if it's biblical, uh, to, to, to find a solution, a godly, wise solution to something. Um, but at the same time, there are situations that we, that we cannot find our way out of. Um, and in those situations, and in all situations, even the ones where we think we see a solution, we need fundamentally not to rely on ourselves, but to wait on the Lord, to rest in the Lord, to wait quietly and patiently and exclusively on the Lord. This is what we call patience. Patience is hard. There's a poem by a poet named Gerard Manley Hopkins, and the first line is, Patience, hard thing. Hard thing but to pray. It goes on. Patience wants war, wants wounds. Doesn't want to wait. Um, makes me think of the, the, the scene in, in, in The Return of the King where, where Pippin is, is in Gondor. He's waiting for the, the bad guys to all attack the city. And, and he, says, he says, I don't want to be in a battle but waiting on the edge of one I can't escape is, is even worse. It's that, it's, it's that feeling, that, that experience that's, that's being talked about in Psalm 62 of, of the agony of the soul in distress and yet, and yet needing to learn patience and wait on the Lord. This is what the psalm calls us to. We'll start with this. First point, in your distress, wait for God. In your distress, Wait for God. Uh, David is the author. Um, it's not clear what particular providence, what particular pain he's going through. There's no historical details given. Um, but he's under attack. Um, verse 3 makes this very clear. It's not quite as clear in the New King James 
um, as, as it is in some other translations. But, but David feels like he's under attack. He says in verse 3, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? It's a striking image. Picture a wall that's, that's leaning. It's about to fall over. It looks like just one little push and the whole thing will come down. David says, that's my experience. Right now, I'm in this distress. I feel like one more person comes, one more push, and I collapse. Um, these people who are attacking him flatter him, we're told. To his face, they speak good things, but under their breath, they're cursing him, they're slandering him behind his back, and they're, they're plotting his downfall. That's David's experience, and the psalm comes out of that experience. There's an immediate encouragement for us there, loved ones, and that uh, this is normal. It's normal to feel like a wall that's about to fall over in the Christian life. It's normal to feel under attack in the Christian life, attacked by sins and attacked by, 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 by difficult circumstances. If you think the Christian life is going to be a, a pleasant cakewalk, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, J.I. Packer has a little book on 2 Corinthians, and the, the title of the book is Weakness is the Way. It's a striking title, and it sums it up so well that, that the Christian life is a life of being, being weak and learning weakness. Uh, Machen said Christianity is the religion of the broken heart. Um, and it's all, over the, it's all over the New Testament, isn't it? Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes on you to test you. James says, the trial's coming, expect it, count it all joy. Um, Paul says, you will be persecuted if you desire to live a godly life in Christ. And, and our Lord Jesus himself is the man of sorrows. He is, he is the one who is pummeled, right? Just battered over and over and over by difficulty and trials. So th- th- this is what we should expect, feeling battered and feeling like a wall that's about to collapse with just one more push is the norm in the Christian life. So the question is, well, that's the normal experience of a Christian. What do we do with that? How do we respond to it? What do we do? The psalm says, before you do anything else, wait. Wait for God. Wait on God. The psalm uh, sounds this same note twice. We get it first at the very beginning of the psalm, verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. A profession of faith. My soul waits in God. And then verse 5, we get the same idea over again, but now preaching to himself. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. This is what my soul does. My soul waits. Soul, wait. Wait for God. What does it mean? What does it mean to wait for God? Um, Well, surely it means, first of all, that if anyone's in control of the situation you're in, it's not you, it's him. That whatever is happening to you and whatever way out of it you might find, it's, it's God who must be at work in it. It's God who is at work in it. That, that God is the one who will shepherd you through it, not you. And he is the one who will, who will work all things for good, not, not you. To, to wait on the Lord, to rest in the Lord means you're not depending on your own wisdom, resources to, to work something out, but you're depending on him, his resources. There's another translation of 
uh, of 62 verse 1 that says, I am at rest in God alone. Rest in God alone, O my soul. This isn't saying we don't do anything in our distress, but it means that anything you do, you do not with your hope in what you're doing, but you do it with your hope in, in God and who He is and what He can do. Um, this is what we're called to, to, to wait on the Lord and see what He will do and how He will work and have all your trust in, in Him. Loved ones, it is easy to slip out of this and to, and to, and to, and to take all the weight of the job of solving the, the problem that we're in all by ourselves instead of resting in our sovereign God and waiting for Him to work. So wait Wait, wait for God. In your distress, wait for God. That's the first thing. But let's, let's build on that. The second thing is this. In your distress, wait for God because He is your salvation. In your distress, wait for God because He is your salvation. Psalm 62 piles up for us all these different descriptors for God. Um, it just, it, David just keeps throwing them on, piling them on. Uh, we're told, first of all, he says, God, God is my salvation. We're told it in verse 1. We're told it in verse 2. We're told it twice in verse 2. We're told it again in verse 6. We're told it again in verse 7. God is my salvation. It's a short psalm, but so many times he says, God is the one who saves us. This salvation. What, what is this salvation? It's, it's what we see writ large all over, all over the story of the Old Testament. Right? It's God bringing the people out of Egypt. It's, it's uh, David defeating Goliath. It's the, the, the widow of Zarephath getting, getting flour and oil appearing by the miraculous power of God fresh, new, in her, in her pantry every morning, even though she used the last of it yesterday. Right? That, that's the salvation of God. It's God coming and doing what only God can do to bring relief and help and rescue to His people. It's our Lord Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the grave on the third day. So, so as David writes the psalm, he's in the middle of some distress, but, but, but he's, he's looking beyond it, and he says, God is my salvation, and in his mind, all that God has done for him, all that God has saved him from and saved him for. And so he has this confidence that, that, that God himself is my salvation. He doesn't know how this chapter of the story that he's in ends. But, but he does know how the whole story will end with God saving him. He knows that God will win, that God will rescue him. He has this, this complete confidence in this. It's wonderful for us to consider this through the lens of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? As, as David says, God, God is my salvation. Because that's what Jesus' name means, right? Salvation. He is the one who comes and in himself is our salvation. So that, so that we know, no matter what circumstances we're going through, the only way this ends, the only possibility for how this situation that I'm in ends is my good salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That there's no other possibility what a comfort for us, loved ones. In all our circumstances, the only way this is going to end is God's salvation. He adds more descriptors. So first of all, he says, God, God is my salvation. 
He goes on. He adds more. Um, These ones are all kind of variations on the same theme. He says, God is my rock in verse 2. He says, God is my mighty rock in verse 7. Uh, verse, he says, God is my fortress in verse 2. And again, God is my fortress in verse 6. He says, God is my, my hope in verse 5. God is our refuge in verse 8. Refuge, rock, fortress, um, nothing, nothing at all can, can harm us. Not, not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of your Father in heaven. He is our, he is our underground bunker that nothing can come and destroy. He is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power and upholds us by the word of his power and in his everlasting arms. So this is who our God is, and this is why we wait for him. Who else has this power? Who else can be this salvation for us? It is a marvel of his grace that he is this Um, Isaiah 64 meditates on this truth and it it says this, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. What other God works for those who wait on Him? The, the, the false gods of all the other nations around Israel demand sacrifices. And they say, if, if you're going to get a blessing, you're going to earn it. You're going to buy it. You're going you're to bring the sacrifices. You're going to obey. Uh, you've got to do all these things, and, and then I will, I will give you a, a few stingy blessings. But God says, don't work. Just trust and rest and be still, and I will work. Remember his words to his people at the Red Sea? The defining moment of their salvation. He says, be still. Stand firm, stand still. I'm going to save you. Uh, you, just, you just watch, Israel, and see what I will do for you. Um, this, is the, this is the grace of God, that he works for those who wait for him. Why should we expect this? Why should we expect God, the Holy God, to do this? Well, it's only because of the work of Christ, isn't it? That Christ has come and purchased this for us. We, we don't deserve to have God working for us, to bless us. We, we deserve Him working to judge us and bring, bring His wrath on us for our sin. But because of what Christ has done, we have this glorious confidence. He works for those who wait for Him. So, loved ones, in your distress, wait for God. In your distress, wait for God because he is your salvation. Number three, in your distress, wait for God quietly. This is our third point. Wait for God quietly. So we've seen why we should wait for God, because he is our salvation. Now we look at, at how. What, what, what should our waiting for God look like? It should be a quiet waiting. We see in verse 1 and then again in verse 5. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. In silence. What does that mean? We, we can't, does that mean we, we can't cry out to God? That we can't make our lament or our complaint to God? Um, no. no. Uh, so many psalms are a cry to God, are a desperate plea to Him. Uh, the, the, the language of the Bible is, is clear here, that we can cry out to God at all times. And this very psalm actually talks about it. It says in verse 8, 
pour out your heart to him. So it doesn't mean bottle it up and don't tell God anything. Um, what it's saying, I think, is don't, don't, don't fret and, 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 and be anxious and worry, but just take your heart and take your cares and your distress and your concerns and give it over to him and, and place it in his hands. First um, Peter 5, 7 is the sense here. Cast all your cares on him, knowing, knowing that he cares for you. Give it to him. David say, give the distress to him. And then rest in the fact that he will take care of you and he will work it according to his will. Uh, we see several times in the Psalms where David talks about how he's able to sleep. He's able to sleep because he's trusting in the Lord. Uh, loved ones, sometimes it is indeed an act of faith to go to sleep, isn't it? Uh, to say, Lord... Um, this, this, this circumstance is troubling. It's difficult. I, I feel like I just need to keep working on it. I can't sleep. But Lord, you work for those who wait for you. So I'm going to rest. I'm going to sleep. Uh, I'm going to trust that you are the sovereign God. So loved ones, whatever your particular current distress might be, wait silently. Give it to him. Pour out your heart to him. And then, then wait on him. Wait quietly on him. Horatius Bonar is uh, one of the hymn writers in our hymnal whom I probably love best. And uh, he has one hymn called, Hear, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. And he expresses this desire of, uh, 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 of resting in God and waiting on the Lord in his distress. He says, in the hymn, he says, Here would I grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. That's very much what the psalm is talking about. Lord, I'm a wall that's about to fall over, but I'm going to lean on you. You are sufficient, and so I will rest. I will rest in, in you. So, in your distress, wait for God. In your distress, wait for God because He is your salvation. In your distress, wait for God quietly. And now fourth, wait for God only. In your distress, wait for God only. Uh, Psalm 62 doesn't want us to only wait for God, but to wait for God and only for God. Um, it repeats this point over and over. The, the, the Hebrew is, is quite interesting because verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 6 all start with the same word, only only for God in silence waits my soul, is how it might begin. Only He is my rock and my salvation. Only for God wait in silence my soul. Only He is my rock and salvation. So the, the, the psalmist is hammering the same point over and over. Only God, only God, only God, only God. Then he gets to verse 9 and 10. And again, the word only starts the Hebrew line. But this time, it's a contrast. He says, only a breath, those of low estate. He's setting up this contrast uh, between, between God and our trust and rest and only in God. And then he contrasts it. He says, those who have low estate, uh, they're just a breath. Those of high estate, they're just a delusion. He's setting up this, this contrast. He's saying, if you take all the people in the world from the lowest to the highest, 
from, from, from the poorest beggars in the most poverty-stricken part of the world to the Fortune 500 people, and, and, and you put them all together. It's like that vapor in the cold winter morning when you step outside, and it's gone. He's, he says, you, you put them all together, and you put them in the scales, and it doesn't even outweigh a breath of air. He's saying that's how consequential all mankind is in comparison with God. All of humanity, all of its history in the scales is a breath. Why is he bringing this contrast in? Why is he saying only God, only God, only God, man's only a breath? Um, I think it's because in our distress, we're tempted to hope in other people, to to find our hope in human resources, maybe ourselves, maybe others, um, or, or perhaps opposite, we're tempted to dread other people. Either way, we're looking, we're looking at, at, at the creature and giving it more weight than the creator. And, and, and uh, the point is that if all the people in the world loved you, supported you, defended you, and helped you, it would mean nothing if God wasn't for you. And also, contrary, if all the people in the world were against you, it doesn't matter if God is for you. So the psalmist is saying, don't rest in man. Rest in God. The other temptation we face, probably very common, is money. And that's the next one. So he, in, in verses 9 and 10, he says, don't trust in other people. Verses, uh, ver- verses uh, 10, 11, following, he talks about not trusting, uh, excuse me, it's verse 10, not, not, not putting your trust in riches, whether they're ill-gotten or, or fairly gotten. Uh, if you get rich, watch out. Don't set your heart on it. Uh, your, your riches won't get you out of the distress that you are in. Only wait on the Lord, not on any others. So in your distress, wait for God. Wait for Him because He is your salvation. Wait for Him quietly and wait for Him only. And then fifth, finally here, wait for His reward. In your distress, wait for God's reward. There's a wonderful promise, a profound and and foundational promise the psalm ends with. Um, it says two things. David says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. Two things. That power belongs to God, and that steadfast love belongs, belongs to God. He says, Soul, remember the word of God. God has told you that he has all strength, that there is nothing in the world that can overcome him. He is all strength, and all that strength is coupled with the second thing, steadfast love. So, so w- what good would it be if we had one without the other? All the strength of God, but none of the love of God. It would be a terror to us. What if we had only the steadfast love of God, but, on, but none, of, none of the strength of God? Right, but we have both together. These are like the two rails that the train of covenant theology runs on, right? The, the, the steadfast love of God and the omnipotent power of God for his people. These two things together. And David is saying, my whole life is surrounded by the power of God and the love of God. He is strong and he loves me. And then he says... He'll pay, he'll pay the reward. He'll, he'll, he'll render according to your work. Um, the way that ends for 
you know, at first it sounds like a, like a judgment, the way verse 12 comes. Uh, you will render to a man according to his work. That could scare me. Lord, I don't want to be paid for my work. I want to be paid for Christ's work. Uh, don't render to me according to my work because, because my work is not sufficient. My work will only condemn me. Um, but, but the hope here is that David is saying that as he has trusted in the coming Messiah, and as we have looked to Christ, then what we are receiving is indeed the very reward of Christ. That we don't have to, that we don't have to fret that if, if we wait faithfully and quietly under God's providence, he will render to us according to Christ's work counted to us. And he will, he will, he will give us a wonderful reward. Um, this is not a threat of judgment, but a promise of salvation for us. Um, and this is what we've received. We've received this in Christ. Um, Isaiah 25, verse 9, talks about how God fulfills this, this theme of waiting and longing in the Old Testament. It says that when Christ comes, um, this is what people will say. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We, we, we can look at this psalm then, and you know, David's in a position where he's looking forward still to Christ's coming and waiting for that glorious salvation to come. We are in a position, loved ones, that is similar yet different, right? We're still waiting for Christ to come, yet he already has come in his first coming. He's brought a, a wonderful salvation, and we're looking forward to its fulfillment. And so we wait. We wait in the circumstances of our life with our hope forward, and the salvation that he, is, that he is bringing. So loved ones, in your distress, wait for the Lord because he is your salvation. Wait for him quietly. Wait for him only. And wait for his reward in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, we thank you that you are the God of strength and steadfast love, the Lord of the covenant of grace that you've given us these wonderful, wonderful gospel benefits in our Lord Jesus. Come and refresh us and strengthen us and equip us for faithfulness. Help us to persevere. And Lord, would you get all the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.